This is the IBM Cloud Podcast with Dan Bettinger, covering capabilities, methods, and discoveries to help you cloud better. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the IBM Cloud Podcast. This is Dan. And if your organization is looking to adopt cloud native development, this episode's for you. Joining me today is Dr. Holly Cummins, Senior Technical Staff Member and Innovation Leader from IBM. Holly, how are you doing today? Yeah, really good. Thanks for being here. Just to start off, would you be able to explain what you do at IBM and what you've done in the past? Sort of, yeah. So, I, I mean, I do lots of different things, and that's kind of a part of the fun of my job, but then it means it ends up being this sort of really long explanation. So, I'm a developer and I'm a consultant. So, then one of the things that I, I do is I work with clients and I help them move to the cloud. And of course, it's not just lift and shift, either technically or culturally. So, then it, it's sort of helping clients get the most out of the cloud. I've spent a lot of time working in the IBM garage, and now I sit in corporate strategy. So now part of my job is checking out our strategy. And, you know, like everything, we, we, we come up with these strategy hypotheses. And then part of, of the thing is to sort of then go try it out in the field and see, does this actually check out? Does this actually make sense? And then bring that field experience back to help influence IBM's strategy. You have an interesting broad perspective on what clients are doing around cloud native. I guess both good and the bad. Personally speaking, I've seen teams deliver really interesting results through cloud native development, but only if everybody aligns on the definitions. What is cloud native and why is it so hard to wrap definitions around it? Yeah, like it, it, I think sometimes the problem isn't that it's hard to define cloud native. It's that it's so easy to define cloud native that everybody does it, but we all do it slightly differently. And then, as you say, we do end up with these problems where there's sort of a, a, a misalignment. I remember way back in the mists of time, you know, before, before we even had Docker and before microservices were a thing, we started talking about cloud native. And what we meant by it was born on the cloud. And being born on the cloud means you run in a different way. There's lots of things that are good ideas on-prem that are horrible ideas in the cloud. So you have to handle your state in a different way. You have to handle your logging in a different way. Your diagnostics are different. Um, and a lot of us, you know, we sort of really got caught out because the first time we'd have, we'd run something on the cloud and then it would have some horrible problem and it would crash. And then we'd go and try and look at the carcass to get the logs and, and it was gone because it was on the cloud. And we we're like, okay, <laughs> we need to learn some new habits. So that's sort of, you know, to me, I still sometimes think about cloud native as that way, you know, that you're doing the horizontal scalability and, and, and you've got this sort of architecture that's optimized to be deployed over and over and over again, you know, so you're deploying often and you're deploying repeatedly. And then I think the idea that you deploy really often and your deployments are really repeatable, that's sort of a DevOps idea as well. So then you get this linking between cloud native ideas and DevOps ideas, and there's a lot of overlap. So sometimes I think they sort of get used interchangeably. And now as well, I think we see this really technological definition of cloud native. So cloud native is an architectural style. And that architectural style has to involve containers and it has to involve microservices. And, you know, I personally, I sort of think that's, it's a bit limiting. It means that you may end up going down a route that's not 
necessarily appropriate. And you may think you're getting the benefits of cloud native, but actually all you're getting is, is microservices. If you just look at the technology, then you miss a lot of the other things that as an organization you need to be doing if you're actually going to get the benefit of that architectural style and the benefit of being on the cloud. Yeah, oh, I've got one more. I've got sorry, I've got one. I've got one more. I think sometimes, you know, we we sort of get these vocabularies and we get so used to saying cloud native that we forget you can actually just say cloud. <laughs> like, you know, it, you're allowed. <laughs> it is a word still. Whenever there's confusion around things, sometimes it's best just to go back to first principles and kind of go back to why use the cloud, right? And just kind of think yeah, about totally. it that way. Yeah, totally. I think you you can never go wrong if you start by asking what what problem am I really trying to solve? And then, you know, so in the case of the cloud, I think you sort of want to go back and say so why did we even ever want this cloud thing? And and for a lot of organizations, cloud started as a way to save costs. So the idea was um you know, it's not necessarily cheaper per unit of compute, but you can provision exactly the right amount of compute. And instead of having to provision the sort of the maximum, you know, so like if you're Wimbledon, you were really busy in June and July and your website's pretty quiet the rest of the year. If you're a retailer, maybe Black Friday, things are super busy and less exciting the rest of the year. So you have to have all of those servers sat in a data center somewhere for one month. And that makes no sense. So then, you know, the cloud sort of gave you um, that elasticity. So it's actually the reason it saves you costs is because of the elasticity. I think a lot of businesses, they sort of realize, oh, well, this elasticity is good, but actually this isn't the really big benefit that we're getting. The really big benefit is that we can get to market way quicker. We can ship our software. We can update our public presence way more often. I mean, like it's hard to even remember because I think we've got so used to the cloud so quickly. But I, I used to work on a, on a product team and we used to do our releases every two years. And so that meant you'd write something and your amazing little bit of software would sit on the shelf for two years before a customer ever got to play with it, you know, and that that's such a sad and it's so wasteful and the cloud fixes that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the cloud does fix that. Changing gears a little bit. I spent three years in the DevOps space around 2013. And I often found that clients I spoke with were all about the tools, right? I used to call it the Todd, the tool of the day. They found it on Hacker News <laughs> or somewhere. Um, but they often neglected like the people and the process components. And again, just really were all about those tools. And I think we kind of fall into that same trap around cloud native, do you think that's still the case or, or do you feel differently? No, I, th I think you're spot on. And I, th I think, you know, we sort of look and we say, oh, well, if I have, you know, a lot of organizations that have microservices and that have containers, that's a really good way of getting those cloud native goals of, you know, being nimble and being responsive to customers and being efficient. And so we sort of assume because that's the easy thing to sort of pick up on that if I have microservices, I'll just automatically become nimble and efficient and responsive to customers. But of course, it, you know, it doesn't work like that. And I think as well, right, you know, it's it's like shopping, right? You know, changing tools, it's, it's fun. And you sort of, you know, you get the new shiny thing. But changing processes, I mean, that's hard, right? Like, it's really hard. And it's going to involve meetings. And, you know, <laughs> so we sort of think, oh, well, let's just have more architecture and let's just have more technology. But the people side and that process side, I think that's the most important side. The people and process um, is definitely an important piece. 
But sometimes can't there be so much, in fact, that your cloud is somewhat suffocated too? Yeah, like like anything else, I think an organization's process has to keep changing and you have to have continuous improvement in your process as well as in everything else. And especially with the cloud, because it's changed things so much, you need to do this sort of really significant, quite deep continuous improvement. I get to see all, all sorts of organizations and 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 so I we um we spoke to a bank and they were sort of, you know, a, a heritage bank and all of these challenger banks were eating their lunch and they knew that they needed to move faster to keep up. And they looked around their estate and they had this big COBOL estate and they sort of said, I think probably fairly reasonably, this COBOL is a bit of a problem. We need to try and do something more modern. So let's change it to microservices. And we said, oh, great, you know, IBM can help you with that. You know, let's, let's get the garage in. And then they sort of finished the sentence and they said, and our release board meets every six months. So, you know, there's this sort of huge gate and nothing could get released except on the six month cycle. One of the huge benefits of microservices is that you can release them independently. And so if you have this big release gate, you may as well probably be doing a monolith every six months because then at least you get the compile time checking and, you know, some some other benefits. And there's another story. Um, and this this one I didn't personally see. It's sort of, you know, I don't know how it's secondhand or thirdhand or, you know, an IBM or urban legend, but I like it so much. I just keep telling it anyway. Because sort of, you know, way back when um, organizations were first starting to look at automated provisioning, we, we had some sort of system and we sold it to a client. And the idea was that it could provision a virtual machine for them in, in 10 minutes. And they're like, oh, great. Yeah, we totally need that. And then they came back and they said, hey, IBM, the system you sold us is broken. And we said, hmm, yeah, that, that, that's all. I'm fairly sure it works for me, but, you know, sometimes these things happen. So we went and we investigated. And it turned out, the because what they were seeing was that it was taking three months to provision a system instead of 10 minutes. And we're like, hmm, yeah, that's a, that's a very serious software defect. And it turns out what had happened is they had an 84-step pre-approval process before <laughs> someone could eventually hit the button to do the 10-minute provision. It doesn't matter how much shiny technology you buy. If you don't fix those kinds of process problems, you're not going to get the benefit of a cloud. You may as well be actually physically going out and, you know, setting up a machine. Yeah, I would love to see the value stream map of that. I don't know how many <laughs> whiteboards you would need to, to account for those yeah. 84 steps. That's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah and I, like the thing is as well, you know, I'm sure nobody, you know, until we sort of looked at that holistic picture, I'm sure nobody realize, right? Because they would have said it's ridiculous, but these things just creep in and each, you know, person sort of says, oh, I'll just add a, you know, a little approval here and that will help. Yep. Help. Yeah. And I, I've, I've done that. I've done those value stream maps with clients before. And I still remember like holistically the teams being like, wow, we just didn't know that all this stuff was going on. And that's the value right there. Yeah. So good times. The um, I was thinking the other day, I remember being at a Gartner event in Orlando and hearing an analyst uh, uh, provide a quote. And it was something like, if Kubernetes is the answer, then you're asking the wrong question. And <laughs> I, I like it and appreciate it, but you know, is there ever a reason not to use Kubernetes? So I think, I mean, I think sort of. I mean, I, I think it's actually the same thing. It's that you know we're sort of we're adopting things without really doing that reflection about well, what problem am I trying to solve, and as well, what else do I need to do, and is this technology going to get me to those goals? So Kubernetes is super awesome. It's changed our industry. And then you sort of think, okay, well, is it awesome for everybody? 
I think it probably still mostly is, but I think there's a but. So should because Kubernetes is so awesome, is it so awesome that you want to be home rolling and maintaining your own Kubernetes environment? Probably not. You know, maybe if the biggest orgs, that makes sense. But for smaller orgs, like at the very least, you should have some sort of nice distribution that packages everything together and fills in the blanks and or, you know, fills in the gaps and sort of makes it easy to manage. And that's one of the big bits of value that OpenShift has. Um, but even sort of consuming that raw, you know, it's work and you're going to need to have someone who's doing it. And sometimes you sort of think like, why why bother? Is this really the value that my organization should be doing is, you know, managing a Kubernetes? Probably not. So then, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, you know, just go for managed Kubernetes or go for managed OpenShift. And, and again, you know, it depends how much control you want, but you have to sort of think with some of those other options, you get a lot of control, but that control is an investment. And sometimes you don't even, you know, you want, you want the Kubernetes somewhere, but you don't necessarily even want to be looking at it at the Kubernetes level. So with Knative, you know, we're really starting to see managed Knative now, which I think is super exciting. So stuff like Code Engine, you know, you can sort of, the Kubernetes is there under the covers, but you don't have to be worrying about it at that level. You just take your workload, plunk your workload onto the cloud, and then it's accessible. Which, and, you know, so I, my experience is have container deploy container. And as a developer, that's probably where I want to be spending my time. I did an episode with Doug Davis a few weeks ago that uh, for those who are interested in Code Engine can go back and take a look and learn more about that. Um, funny enough, speaking of development and cloud native development, a friend of mine, um, She's a software developer for, for a company that's quote unquote adopted the cloud native development model, right? And apparently they have a happy hour or a Zoom happy hour, I guess, uh, for every successful release that they do. And to me, it just kind of bothered me when I heard that. I was just wondering if, if that bothers you as, as much as it does bother me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like I thought. Yeah, I think re- releasing software should be really boring and it should be something that you do so often that you're like, whatever. And I mean, I'd, I'd almost be tempted to sort of flip it around the other way. And I mean, it's actually sort of the same, but right to say, <laughs> to say we have a Zoom happy hour in which, in which we release software because releasing our software is so easy <laughs> that we can just, you know, all get together on a Friday evening, have a few drinks. And then while we're not the most competent developers, <laughs> We can still manage to release software because the process is is so automated that we're protected from ourselves. I mean, I, I think I wouldn't recommend that either. <laughs> Probably you want something that has neither of those extremes, right? That is just like, well, whatever, another release. Right. I can hear the IBM attorneys call me tomorrow. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So- Don't release software drunk. <laughs> IBM does not endorse this. Uh, I can't imagine how what the T's and C's would look like. Okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm just sort of going off now on, on, you know, you can imagine, you know, some sort of soft, we can, you know, do software. And, and it, as you say, in the T's and C's, it's like, this is so easy that you can do it drunk. And then the sort of, you know, the very small T's and C's, you know, but really don't do this drunk. Perfect. Uh, do you have advice for IT management as they kind of embrace and scale cloud native development? Because I think everybody's at different spots, right? And that's just the way it is, right? You're coming from a startup position, you're coming from a heritage bank position or a growth company. Like, 
what advice do you have for management? Yeah, I, th I think it it's sort of, there definitely will be an adjustment and a lot of those process changes and that kind of thing will end up falling to management to to drive. And then, you know, just going back to what we were saying about the, the happy hour, you could end up in the situation where your employees are talking about deploying software drunk and, you know, every ounce of professional judgment in your body is sort of going, no, don't, don't do this. Um, so, so then, you know, for IT management, I think what we have to try and do is just sort of go back to that, okay, what problem are we really trying to solve? How can I help? Are what things are we do we do as an organization that are getting in the way? What things do we do as an organization that we should be doing more of in terms of let's have, you know, more of that speed, let's have more of that rigor to support the speed, and how can I create the appropriate incentives for my team for that? And then for their teams, like what would you recommend a team of developers or hands-on practitioners, how should they start approaching cloud native and other resources or um, what's the best way to start there? Yeah. So there's a really good um, sort of set of open source assets that some colleagues of mine put together. It's called the cloud native toolkit. So we'll add a, a link in the show notes, but I think as well, if you Google it, it's, it's pretty much the, the top hit. And so it's a whole bunch of assets and they work on OpenShift or they work on IBM's managed Kubernetes. And, you know, the idea is really just to help you get going as quick as possible. So it's got things like, you know, your build pipeline is just there and all of those other things that you need to get going, you know, it's, it's got the assets to, to spin them up in, with as little friction as possible. Okay. Yeah, and definitely. Um, I know Sean and the team over there, and I can add that link to the show notes for our listeners. You know, one thing I love about being in technology is how fast it goes. It puts you on the proverbial um, uh, treadmill of learning and understanding, <laughs> which is fun, right? It, I enjoy it. It can be a little daunting at times. But when I look at the landscape or when you look at the landscape, what emerging technologies are you really tracking and highly interested in? So so there's sort of, I think, two parts of this. The one is like, how do you even keep up? And then the, the second is sort of like, what am I keeping up with that I think is really cool? And I think the answer to like, before you can sort of think something's cool, you have to kind of discover it. And I think the answer to that is actually the same as the answer to the previous question that... Um, Something like the Cloud Native Toolkit, you know, they're sort of scanning the landscape and then they're bringing things in. So a lot of technologies, I've sort of spotted it in there and I've said, oh, what is this? And then I've gone away and realized that it would it would be fixing a problem and I might not have discovered it otherwise. Because um, I think if you sort of start in the other direction and like if you look at the whole CNCF landscape chart, you just sort of... <laughs> feel this existential despair and you know that you're you know a tiny little speck of dust in this enormous galaxy and you have no hope so you do need that curated subset that you trust i'm really sort of watching GitOps with interest and i'm i'm sort of i think it's the way to go i think we're probably going to have a bit of a sort of a a shakeout in again in terms of what problem are we trying to solve and and where are some of the things actually making it harder and where are they making it easier but there's such a lot of activity in that in this space and it, it's um clearly the right thing to do you know the more we can push our infrastructure as code the more we can get it so that there's not the human intervention and that human intervention is as frictionless as possible the better it's it's super super emerging. I think it's you know I think it's probably not even on or barely on the CNCF landscape yet of 
just more more visibility of what's going on. For a startup, it's pretty easy to keep track of what's going on. But once you get beyond that really small scale, knowing all of your cloud workloads that you've put on many different providers, many of which you forgot about, how do you keep, and some of which are actually racking up pretty big bills, like how do you keep track of that? How do you optimize that? How do you just even get sort of a mental picture of what's going on? I think we're sort of seeing stuff with FinOps and we're seeing stuff with trying to do shift left on cost management. And I think that's sort of one to watch. I've got some information I can add in around FinOps. I've been watching that one as well. Um, I also know you have a PhD in quantum computing. I do. I should have probably probably mentioned that from the beginning when I said Dr. Holly Cummins. Um, Where do you think that is right now? That is, it is um, so exciting. It's coming along so well. So when I, when I did my PhD, we sort of, you know, we'd have these water cooler conversations and it was like, do you think anybody will ever actually make a quantum computer? It may happen. It may not. Now it actually ties really nicely to the to the cloud because quantum computers, not only are they sort of real, but they're on the cloud. And it's so obvious that the cloud is the right way to use a quantum computer because, you know, going back to the sort of the what problem are we trying to solve, you know, there's the sort of cost aspect because nobody really wants to provision their own quantum computer because they're pretty exotic at the moment. You know, you don't want that in your, in your data center and, you know, you have to keep it colder than the space between the stars, which again, you know, you probably don't want that in your data center. You want someone else who's a specialist in fridges to be doing that. And then the other shift that was happening before the cloud, but I think the cloud's really accelerated is open source. And we're seeing this around quantum as well, that there's with QuizKit that we have this, you know, sort of amazing open source community. And they're like one of the things that we need to be working on with quantum is figuring out the problems, figuring out the domains. And so by having that open source community, we're sort of getting, we're spreading the expertise to um, to people who also have expertise in all of these other domains. And then they're sort of applying it to their domain and saying, hey, did you know that quantum would be really good for solving this optimization problem in, in you know, my field? And then it sort of goes back to the community. And so then it just, you know, it's this sort of cycle of rapid enrichment of the community. Yeah, no, that that's really fun. I'm working on some projects right now with the quantum team here at IBM and they're some wicked smart people. And just like you, there's tons of smart people here at IBM. And it's really fun to uh, to engage in this format and speak with people and learn and share the learnings that we have from IBM to the audience. Um, I want to be cognizant of your time, Holly. I know it's uh, we're all busy and I want to be cognizant of the time of our listeners. I think this is probably a good time to wrap it up. I want to thank you personally for joining the the, uh, podcast and thanks to the listeners. Thanks and have a great day, everybody. Bye. Sea monsters. Who knows?